Now today we're continuing our Esther series and the theme for this morning is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now I want to ask you, if you can, to close your eyes and I'd like you to think about the most obnoxious or proudest person you ever know. Now I wonder whose face you saw right away. Some of you might be thinking about your boss or it could be your sibling or your spouse. Or it could be the pastor who's preaching up the front right now. I heard uh, she could be quite full of herself sometimes. Now this week we're going to focus on a proud and obnoxious man. A man who's an example of what not to be. His name is Haman the Agagite. If you were to write a book about the characteristics of narcissism, I wonder what the titles of each chapter would look like. Now, Haman is a textbook narcissist, and as we study his character, we will clearly see three distinct characteristics of prideful, arrogant people. If I was to write a book about the characteristics of narcissism, my three chapters would probably look like this. Chapter one, the proud seeks power. Chapter two, the proud fears rejection. In chapter 3, the proud ignores wisdom. This morning I'm going to explain why each of these characteristics led to Haman's downfall. And as we go along, take notes in your mind. Ask yourself if you could see any similarities between you and Haman. Shall we pray first? Lord Jesus, you are King and Lord of Lords. God, I thank you so much for your word and for uh, this story, this true story of Esther. And this morning, as we look at Haman and Mordecai, I pray, Lord, that your spirit will speak to us and convict us, help us to see um, clearly who we are um, in light of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So chapter one of the narcissist, the proud seeks power. Let's turn um, our Bibles to Esther chapter three. This chapter introduces us to Haman, and straight away we realize that this man has been elevated to a very high and important status. In verse 1, it tells us that King Xerxes has given him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. Because of this new status, people, including the royal officials, paid honor to him by kneeling down. So basically, all of Persia except obviously for King Xerxes, have to kneel down to him every time they see him. Haman has become a very powerful man and he's probably waited his whole life for this moment. This promotion validates all his hard work, his patience and intelligence that got him there. Persia at the time was the ancient superpower, which means that every time Haman paraded around the city, the whole world bows down before him. Now imagine that adrenaline. Imagine all that power you have. Now we're going to pause there for a sec, and we're going to fast forward in time. In 1887... A British politician called Lord Acton wrote a letter to a bishop called Mendel Creighton. And in this letter, it's the first time we find this well-known saying. He wrote, power tends to corrupt and absolute power 
corrupts absolutely. Who's heard of this phrase before? A few of you. Lord Acton didn't invent this idea, but he captured the essence of power in a broken world. Now we're going to fast forward again to about 100 years later and you'll find another saying made popular by the Spider-Man comics. Spider-Man's uncle once said, with great power comes great responsibility. That's right. Power can make the nicest, most morally upright person turn evil and cruel. Power can enslave groups of people and massacre an entire race. Power can even turn a devout Christian man into a person who exploits vulnerable people. Early last year, allegations of sexual misconduct was made against a prominent senior pastor in America. Bill Hybels subsequently resigned from the church. An article from the Christian Post said, in late February of 2019, an investigation by the Independent Advisory Group released a report a report concluding that the allegations against Hybels were credible and criticised his leadership style. Hybels verbally and emotionally intimidated both male and female employees. Over multiple decades, the Willow Creek Community Church Boards were unable to provide effective oversight of Bill Hybels. Power can turn even a devout Christian man into a person who exploits vulnerable people. A lot of times we see power and corruption happen in people with leadership or some form of influence. Do you guys agree? But why does it tend to corrupt leaders? Now it's hard to give a simple answer to a complex problem because sin and humans are complex. To start off, we have to understand that leadership is about influence. And all of us exercise influence in different ways. Would you agree? Some people have more influential power than others. And the more influence we have, the more people trust us and allow us freedom to do what we want. Now, this is when our ego puffs up. We start to think that we know more than those we lead. We start to believe we can fudge things a little because we can get away with it. The rules don't apply to us anymore because we're so much higher and better than them. Now, a simple illustration between parents and the children will show how we can fall into this thinking quite quickly. Parents often tell their kids not to do something, but they end up doing it themselves. Am I right? Now, for example... Just an example, it could be swearing. Parents tell their kids, don't swear. But they swear too, only when they think that their kids aren't listening in. They think that the rules don't apply to them. But when they get caught, and they do get caught, they hesitate. And then they use this throwaway line. Do as I say but not as I do. We have true parents out here in in the congregation. Do as I say, but not as I do. That's a uh, throwaway line parents often give, right? Power uh, truly tends to corrupt us because it makes us feel like we can get away with anything. Haman wanted power. He liked the perks that came with it. 
fame, admiration, control, and the freedom of knowing that no one can boss you around. Haman thought he could get away with murder too. He tricked Xerxes into signing a genocide law so that he can take his revenge on Mordecai and all the Jews. This is what happens when we seek power. Brothers and sisters, we need to be cautious. We need to be careful about the power we have, whether we want it or not. All of us have influence in different ways. You might have power at home or at work. You might have power amongst your friends or even at church. If we're not careful about the way we treat others and how we exert influence and dominance, we can easily fall into the sin of mistreating and abusing vulnerable people. Seeking power can result in domestic violence. It can result in systemic injustice of certain races and gender. It can ruin children for the rest of their lives. Rather than seeking power like what Haman was so hungry for, we need to seek integrity like what Mordecai stood for. So in chapter 1b, the humble seeks integrity over power. Now Mordecai wasn't a pushover. And he had the kind of power that at first seems narcissistic, but if you look just a little closer, you could see that he was all about integrity. Isn't it great to see that the Bible's presentation of true power isn't about control or forcing someone into submission, but a part of having true power has to do with holding on to your integrity. Haman finds out that Mordecai refuses to bow down to him because Mordecai made a decision a long time ago that he would only bow down to the one true God. So for Mordecai, he wasn't jealous of Haman's new status. Mordecai stuck to his beliefs, even if it means negative consequences might follow. Mordecai puts his integrity first over pursuing power that exerts influence over others. For him, his character and beliefs were more important than his position in the world. Now, would you also agree that these kinds of people are becoming more and more rare in our world? Someone else who sought integrity over power was Jesus himself. He showed so much self-control and restraint as he hung on the cross. One of the criminals beside him yelled out, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So many people taunted him and wanted to force him to perform miracles for their own entertainment. But he didn't let people's opinions influence his actions. He knew clearly that his mission was to die on the cross to save humanity. Esther chapter 3 verse 4 tells us that day after day, the royal officials spoke to Mordecai, but he refused to comply. They were trying to wear Mordecai down, forcing him to obey. Holding on to your integrity doesn't get easier when people constantly try to force you to do something or make you turn a blind eye to your beliefs. But Mordecai knew clearly where his allegiance lies. 
even if the whole world turned against him. Like Jesus, Mordecai was so sure of his faith and values. Haman, on the other hand, doesn't take well to rejection. And this leads us to the second characteristic of a narcissist, chapter 2. The proud fears rejection. Rejection scares them because rejection means their authority is challenged. It makes them look weak and proud people don't like to be told no. So let's use Haman as an example. Let's break down his psyche together. Firstly, Mordecai says no to bowing down to Haman. And Haman has never been told no before. Only he is allowed to say no to others. Haman's authority is challenged. It makes him look weak. He worries that if Mordecai doesn't obey him, then no one in Persia will ever respect him again. When all these things came together, Haman had a fit of rage and he devised a plan to get rid of Mordecai and all the Jews. Mordecai was a threat to his ego and emotional happiness. Proud people cannot stand being threatened. And Haman even went so far as to eliminate every single God-worshipping Jew. Now there's something more. Haman knew about the Jews and he knew that his family line had animosity towards them. And he knew that even if he killed Mordecai today, tomorrow there'll be other Mordecais who would challenge his authority. And so he swore to kill Mordecai and all the Jews out of a personal vendetta, but also of a racial hatred too. So he manipulates King Xerxes to help him. In chapter 3, verses 8 to 9, it says, Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's law. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators of the royal treasury. The fear of losing our reputation can make us do stupid and sometimes even horrible things. For example, teachers disciplining students harshly without first understanding the reason for their misbehavior. Or bosses making excuses not to promote their subordinates and adding extra hurdles to hold them back. Or it could be using blackmail and threats to keep people quiet. People can do really stupid and sometimes even horrible things for the sake of protecting their reputation. And this goes back to what Lord Acton once said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The more you've got to lose, the more boundaries you're willing to push. Haman was afraid of losing his status, position, and authority. But Mordecai wasn't afraid of what others thought about him. He only cared about how God saw him. And this is why the humble fears God rather than people. 
You know, it takes humility to be integrous, even when everyone else is doing the opposite. And the reason why Mordecai held on to his integrity was because he had already decided to put God first in his life. When Haman sent men to Mordecai every day to bow down to him, Mordecai said no. When Haman threatened to kill him and all his people, Mordecai still refused to bow down. Integrity is built from character, and character is built over every single decision you make over your lifetime. Mordecai was able to hold on to his integrity because from an early age, he decided that he will follow God and God alone. Just like building muscles, Mordecai made conscious decisions every day to do or say things that are pleasing to God. And because of that, he lives a life that follows him. Day in and day out, Mordecai probably lived a, a normal life. Until one day, a narcissistic tyrant called Haman crosses paths with him. And right there and then, he had to make a really important decision. But because he's used to making decisions that pleases God, it wouldn't be too hard for him to make this one. Now, this is what I think his thought, thought process was. Option A, fear Haman, bow down to him and don't cause trouble for yourself. Or option B, fear God, refuse to bow down to Haman, even if he'll make your life difficult. And so even when Haman and his men turn up, turn up the heat on Mordecai, he still refused to bow down. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you guys, do you actively make decisions that help you move towards pleasing God? If you go through life having a whatever kind of attitude, take life as it comes, making decisions on the fly without thinking about how it might affect your character development, then you'll find yourself tossing and turning in the ocean. Just like what James chapter 1 verse 6 says, like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. There might come a time in your life when you have to stand up for your beliefs. Maybe you could do it at first. You adamantly say no to something that compromises your values. Good on you. But Satan doesn't give up easily. He keeps pushing and threatening you until you cave. Have you guys ever asked yourself, what's my breaking point? Or where's my limit? How much would it take to get you to reject God? Will it take sending soldiers out every day and telling you to bow down to Haman? Or will it take the threat of genocide to make you disown God? Let me give you another example from the Bible. Now, when the religious leaders brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate to condemn and execute him, Pilate first questioned Jesus. But did you know that he did not find Jesus guilty of any crime? Pilate said no to the leader's demand to execute Jesus. But those religious leaders are very smart. They got the crowd to put pressure on Pilate. The, they demanded Jesus to be crucified. And because of that, Pilate started to doubt his decision. 
he didn't want to upset the crowd and risk having them start a riot. And so in the heat of the moment, he brought out Barabbas, a known and convicted criminal. And so Pilate asked the crowd, do you want to release Barabbas or Jesus? And the crowd shouted out to let Barabbas go. Pilate allowed Jesus to die that day because he was afraid of the people's opinion. Don't let others control you. Don't lead others out of fear. Sometimes in order to do the right thing by God, we might have to disappoint people's expectations of us. Jesus never let people's opinions deter him from serving God. He wouldn't let religious leaders control him, nor was he a people pleaser. His heart was always to put God first, which meant that he loved God and others all the time. He put relationships first, but he wouldn't be manipulated because being manipulated and controlled by others isn't the right way to be in relationships. My dear friends, we have to remember that Jesus never tried to manipulate or control others, nor did he let others manipulate or control him. Are you guys with me? Jesus was comfortable with who he is, even if the whole world misunderstood him. Mordecai never met or heard about Jesus, but he lived out the humility that Jesus demonstrated. So let's learn to be more like Jesus, just like what Mordecai did. Let's train our muscles to always put God first in our lives. We need to always fear God rather than people. Now, the final characteristic of the narcissist is that the proud ignores wisdom. As you read the story of Esther, you'll find that Haman's evil grows stronger and uglier. Proud people hold long grudges because they can't let things go. The Bible tells us, this is in chapter 5, verse 9, that when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Haman's hatred for Mordecai can be summed up with this common, um, common Chinese saying we have. Translated literally, it's see you front... Hate your back, which means that you hate someone so much, it begins from their front and extends all the way to their back. That's how much Haman hated Mordecai. And so then his wife and friends gave him a suggestion. Chapter 5, verse 14, they said, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. So Haman was super pleased with our suggestion and he started building this massive pole. But then after King Xerxes honors Mordecai, Haman's wife and friends felt it wouldn't be a good idea for Haman to go through with the plan. Listen carefully to what they said to him. This is in chapter 6, verse 13. Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. Now, this is an important verse we might skip over quite quickly. 
when we see, what we see is that Haman had a final warning. In plain English, they basically said to him, Haman, Mordecai will be your downfall. He's a Jew. Remember the history that the Amalekites have had with the Jews, more specifically with their God. I mentioned earlier that Haman was an Agagite, which means that he's a descendant of the Amalekites. And according to the Bible, the Amalekites were the first enemy that Israel encountered after crossing the Red Sea. The Amalekites attacked them when they were famished and weak. They ambushed them and they attacked the vulnerable. God made a solemn oath to Moses. You'll find this in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. God says, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek under heaven. Haman's wife realized that they're no match against Mordecai because he's a Jew and he had God on his side. And so she tries to tell Haman to ditch the plan. Quit while you can. You're not going to win. Mordecai's God will destroy you. But it's too late for Haman. His ego was hurt and he wants to prove himself. Now, I won't go into too much detail about what happened next, except that we see the greatest irony. Haman was impaled on the same pole he built to kill Mordecai. He didn't listen to sound advice. The proud ignores wisdom, but the humble pursues wisdom. The book of Esther doesn't tell us explicitly that Mordecai pursued wisdom, but we can make an educated guess that he probably did. As a Jew, he would have often recited the Torah. He would have memorized scripture and lived out God's commandments. He marinated himself in scripture and he let God's word affect his life, including his decision-making. We don't know who shaped his life as he was growing up, but he must have had parents, teachers, or older people in his life who developed and nurtured him. And then in turn, he developed and nurtured Esther too. We must seek wisdom. We must have a heart that desires to learn and grow. Let me um, tell you a simple illustration to help us understand the importance of pursuing wisdom. Um, does anyone, anyone into tennis here? No one likes tennis. Some people do. I don't know if you guys agree, but one of the best and probably greatest tennis player in the world is Roger Federer. Now, to give you a feel of how great he is, he currently has 20 Grand Slam wins under his belt. That's the most Grand Slam wins of all time. He's not my favorite tennis player, but I truly think he's amazing at what he does. Now, you would think that the greatest tennis player in the history of the world doesn't need any help from outside sources, such as a coach. But guess what? He does. The greatest tennis player in the history of the world needs a coach. 
He knows that he needs someone to identify his weaknesses and blind spots. He needs input and advice on strategy so he'll be most informed on how to play against his opponent every match. He needs scientists who understand how the weather could affect his performance. He needs nutritionists to recommend the best diet for him. Roger Federer has a coach. Do you guys get what I'm trying to say? But do you guys know that there was a time in his career when he decided not to have a coach? But then he quickly realized that he couldn't stay the best without a coach. On the 26th of July, 2010, The Guardian wrote an article titled, Roger Federer hires Paul Anacone as coach to help revive career. The article said, the 16-time Grand Slam champion has slumped from number one in the ATP rankings earlier this season to third following his quarterfinal loss at Wimbledon, his lowest position since November 2003. It took Federer falling just two rankings to realize he needs a coach to get his career back on track. It took Heyman a massive pole impaled in his body to realize he needed to listen to some wisdom. Am I right? Let me ask you guys, what would it take for you to realize that you need to constantly pursue wisdom? And by pursuing wisdom, I mean godly wisdom that the Bible teaches us. Seek wisdom from God's word. Seek wisdom from godly people who constantly read and study God's word. Those are the people you can and should trust. Mordecai pursued godly wisdom. Esther also listened to wisdom when Mordecai spoke to her. Pursuing godly wisdom doesn't guarantee a safe and easy life, but it does guarantee a life that lets you hold your head up high and say that you've led an integrous life true to God and also true to yourself. Now, in the final weeks, Jono will delve deeper into looking forward into the future and keeping our eyes on a greater reward. And that's the reason why we would choose to live in humility rather than like the proud. To finish up, when we read Esther and study the lives of Haman and Mordecai, it's so clear and true that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In Esther chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, we get a first glimpse at God's work in the humble. One night, King Xerxes couldn't sleep. And it was because he had insomnia that he found out Mordecai once saved his life from an assassination attempt. But the funny thing was, Xerxes forgot to reward him there and then. You'll find this story in, um, at the end of Esther chapter 2. And so then, God has a great sense of humor. Because not only did he allow Mordecai to be honored for his good works for saving the king... But God made sure it was his arch enemy, Haman, who would parade him around the streets of Persia, shouting out, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. This is what is done for the man the king 
delights to honour. A robe and a horse are a big deal. But when the true king, Jesus Christ himself, wants to honour us, it'll be more than just that. Now, do you guys remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I love the final words of that song. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you guys hear what the psalmist said? God will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Not your friends, just your enemies. No, I'm kidding. God will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. One day, you will receive vindication. One day, those who've tried to destroy you will watch devastated as you enjoy the eternal banquet with God. No matter what our circumstances are, goodness and love will always follow us if we choose to live in humility. My dear friends, you will meet proud and obnoxious people in your life. They might try to destroy you. They might try to control and manipulate you. And what you do might be misunderstood. But if you seek integrity over power, if you fear God rather than people, and if you pursue wisdom, one day you'll understand these very words. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Mordecai believed this wholeheartedly. He lived a life of humility. So today I'd like to encourage you, choose humility over pride. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are the most humble person in this universe. And Lord God, you love us so much that you would send your son to die for us. God, you didn't have to, but you showed humility and you demonstrated love for us. And Lord, we know that sometimes in this world we do meet proud and obnoxious people. I pray, Lord, that you will help us and strengthen us in our humility. Lord God, sometimes we might be that proud and obnoxious person. I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, please convict us of our actions, our thoughts, our words. Help us to live a truly humble life, just like what Mordecai did, just like what you did as well. Help us, God, to seek integrity over power. Help us to fear you rather than people. And help us, Lord, to always be constantly pursuing godly wisdom. God, we can't do this without you. We pray that you would strengthen us, give us uh, true power to live a life that's pleasing to you. Lord, we want to offer our praises, our worship and honour to you because you deserve all the glory in this world and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.